friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Say what you will about Gary Bettman and the NHL or the speech Uncle Gary gave at the end of the game like it was story time at the Bettmans. But, but there are two things the NHL gets completely and utterly right. The handshake line is number one. Go to war. Play with broken ribs or a road-mapped face. Give it absolutely all you have. Push the envelope as far as you possibly can. And when it's over, it's sport. Collect your dignity, your nobility, your respect. Look a competitor in the eye and shake their hand. Because you know what it took. That's one. Number two, the cup goes to the captain of the team. The team that stands at the end. Bruised, battered, and scarred, but hard. The captain, not the owner, the captain of the team comes and gets the prize, and he decides where it goes. Not like football, where the grunts stand below the podium while the owner is handed the prize for their blood, sweat, and tears. Not the NBA, where the players have to wait patiently to see how greedy the owner is with their rightful prize. The one, yes, he paid for, but the owner didn't earn. Nah, the NHL's got this right. It's the captain, it's the team. And then they decide where it goes next based on wait times, sacrifice, contributions to the collective. Oh, NHL, I've got my gripes. But that right there is how you hand out trophies. I'm Tim McAuliffe in the Sportsnet Studios. I would hand our trophy off to Jesse Rubinoff wow. if we won anything. Wow. Producers Thomas Dobby, Jay Sands would be right there. Matty Moe, Moop, Shelley, Neil, Matty T, Fitzy, Torx, Mems, Doria, Caminetti. Now I'm in trouble because I got to name the whole crew. And if I haven't named you, Walsh, Azomata, Tommy, Sebastian Moe. <laughs> I never should have started because now I'm in deep trouble. But if I did forget you. Oh, and you, friends of the show. Mm. I bow to you and I trip over something. I don't know if you heard it, but you <laughs> probably did. Careful. We need you. You're important here. You, friends of the show, you would, you would get our cup too. Uh, speaking of shows. <laughs> we have one. Yeah. Yeah, I hope. Well, you'd be the judge of that, but we have one. Kelly Rudy, Dominic Moore on the cup final. And guess what? The offseason starts now, and it is going to hit fast. Trust your boy, Uncle Timmy, on that one. There are going to be some names in the next couple weeks who you're going to go, what? And it's not just Vladimir Tarasenko, though. We'll have more on that in a flash. Game two, NBA finals in Phoenix tonight. One of my favorites, Ramona Shelbert, ESPN, will join us. And the Jays go looking for a rubber of a three-game set in Baltimore as the All-Star game inches closer. Easy for me to say. And so do the rumors. Nelson Cruz and his 300 average and 18 bombs to the Jays. Ooh, that, that one. That one's juicy. And speaking of juicy, it was all a dream I used to read. 
Sports Illustrated magazine, Magic and Dr. J up in a limousine, hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, Epsom Salts and College Ball with Mr. Magic. Musburger? Might have lost it there. Biggie, Ruby, <laughs> first things first. Let's, Let's do go. That. First things first. first. <laughs> Thomas Dobby whispered in my ear, Epsom Salts, great. Anyone who knows what I'm talking about with Epsom Salts, Fridays after football, oh mm. my God. They're like a savior. Did you as a goalie use Epsom salt? Did you ever soak in Epsom salt? Maybe I should have. Like an old school thing. Maybe it would have prolonged my career. When you're just beat up and you've got nothing left, soak in some Epsom salt. Sebi, after a long figure skating session, I'm yeah. sure that you guys practiced hard at figure skating. <laughs> How long were your practices at figure skating? Uh, it was four like, hours a day. Four hours a day? That screams Epsom salts. He was, yeah, he was a national level figure skater. You know that? You learn something new every day. I wish you would have told me this off the Sebastian Moe, yeah. national level figure skater. I'm going to have to quiz you after the show about it. I've, I've showed him my, uh, my single. Elvis Stoiko. Before. You've seen my single before. I've seen, I've seen it. Yeah. I don't know if it's a Lutz or if it's a Sow Cow. Sorry? Waltz jump. A Waltz jump. You ever land a triple nice. axle? Once. 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 Weren't you questions though? At the end, I wasn't paired. Okay, okay, at the end. All right. That's where the ones who can't cut it in solo go to? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what an a-hole I am. All right, let's do this first things first thing. Uh, only one place to start. Yeah. Today. The Tampa Bay Lightning. Congratulations, your 2020-2021 Stanley Cup champions after a 1-0 victory in Game 5. You just knew they were going to shut them out, didn't you? That's what they do in clinchers. Um, I'm sure the Tampa Bay mayor will be happy that the Lightning were able to get it done in front of home fans. Tampa becoming the only the second team in the last 23 years to go back to back. The Penguins were the other team. And to me, the question needs to be asked after such a dominant performance by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is mm -hmm. this the best team of the salary cap era? Okay, we, we get the irony of the question when they are $17.3 million over the salary yep. cap. But if the question is, are they the best team of the new millennium? I think they are. And it's because they could do everything. They could win absolutely any type of hockey game that you want them to play. They could outskill you. They could out nasty you. They could out tough you. They could out skate you. They could out hit you. They could thrive in chaos. And I believe by the end of it, they had the best goalie in the world. Mm -hmm. With all due respect to Carey Price, who I am a huge fan of. And the Montreal Canadiens aren't there without Carey Price. And Andre Vasilevsky may have had more help around him than Carey Price did with a team that's able to control possession in the opposition zone and with that huge defense that they have. However, you look at Andre Vasilevsky, and you said it in the question, mm -hmm. but it's another shutout to close out a series. Ridiculous. Like, this is unbelievable at this point. Five straight series where he has closed the opponent out with a shutout. That's an NHL record. And what's even more crazy is if you added the sixth series, you go back six series, they beat the New York Islanders 2-1 in an overtime game. So he gave up one goal before the five straight series clinching shutouts. It's, they do everything really well. Um, and they might have the best goalie on planet Earth, and it won't stay, as John Cooper told us. It may go away, but if you were just to lay this team out against any other team that has won a cup since, I don't know, 2000, 
I would probably take the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah. over all of them. A lot of people happy today because when you think of how long the regular season is and then how long of a grind the playoffs are, many people believe the best team in the league won. won. Yeah. And people are happy about that. And you think about the journey that the Tampa Bay Lightning have been on. Coming from that 2019 sweep at the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets, they set a record for wins. 62 wins in that season. And that was one of the most shocking sports stories in a long, long time in recent memory when that happened. They got swept. And it followed a number of crushing defeats. They lost in back-to-back years in Game 7s. So when they were finally able to get over the hump and get into the bubble, as you see the tweet come up right there, no words, yada, yada, you guys can read it. This was after 2019, the sweep to Columbus. And just to think about... They haven't lost. They won a cup in both following seasons after this tweet. Like, that's how quickly they were able to turn it around. And what a stepping stone that loss to the Blue Jackets turned out to be for this team. I mean, if you read through that, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Like, Toronto fans, Edmonton fans, listen to the words. <laughs> we don't have any words, and we know you don't want to hear them. We understand your anger, your frustration, your sadness, everything you're feeling. We get it. This isn't the ending we imagined and certainly not the one we wanted. Thank you for being there the entire way. They've won two straight cups mm-hmm. since that tweet went out. And when you're pissed, when it all ends for your team, remember that. Because they, they took a good, hard look in the mirror. And they came out the other end and basically haven't lost back-to-back games since. You think about this team and the construction of this team. Uh, we talked about it right before the show. Like, not only have they knocked it out of the park with certain draft picks. Yes, they got Stamkos first overall and they got Hedman second overall. But... To get point where they got point, I think it was the third round. Sorelli was late. Yeah. Palat was late. The trades that they've been able to move or to make to get David Savard to come over, McDonough. So, I mean, it hasn't just been built one way. They have done it in a variety of ways to get up to this point. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just been a, it's a testament to the front office, a testament yeah. to John Cooper to get everything out of his team, and a testament to the players to be able to band together and get the job done. I think Point's one of, like, three guys in the third round of that draft to play over 100 NHL games. (laughs) That's that's what's around him in the third round, and he was one of, if not uh, the best player. No doubt. Kucherov was pretty good, too. Uh, So the Cinderella story comes to an end for the Montreal Canadiens. They took whether you wanted to believe in them as Canada's team. Uh, Yes, a lot of people did get behind them. It was an incredible playoff run. Many discounted the team seven weeks ago. They spent the next 50 days reeling off upset after upset, proving all of the doubters wrong along the way. But uh, unfortunately, no participation ribbons being handed out today. So while the team could take solace in knowing they fought until the end, players like Brendan Gallagher were still devastated after the loss. Ah, sorry. You know, I played on a lot of really good teams with a lot of really good guys. Um, it's hard right now. Sorry. Uh, Next, you know, we just. Sorry, I'll try and answer. We got, uh, you know, so many players that worked their entire career to get to this point, and it's, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. So you you see how obviously disappointed Brendan Gallagher is there. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. So. He came home, and this is just kind of breaking news now. It's starting to circulate on the socials. He came home, and he showed a video on TikTok. Apparently, he came home to find that his house was robbed. 
So to make matters worse, uh, after a difficult evening, losing the Stanley Cup final, when your Stanley Cup dreams are crushed, you come home to find out you've been robbed, but it's okay because Pitbull has been there and done that. Uh, so just a bad, bad for 24 hours for Brendan Gallagher. So However, it just broke. Yeah, that's, that's breaking news. That's yeah. unbelievable. That's We've heard news. stories about that in soccer where yeah. people know where the players live and then they rob their house when they're playing away games, but in a Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that's brutal for him personally and obviously professionally, but if we look at the team here, yeah. a magical run that they were on, what is the biggest takeaway for you from the Habs run? I'm really glad you asked that, mm. and we may have planned it out before. So. <laughs> Tell them <laughs> but, that. <laughs> but I think this is an important lesson, and I'm not sure that a lot of folks get it, which yeah. is why we talked about asking that question, which I'm really glad you asked. Sure, there are some other fan bases saying, yeah, they got lucky, and yes, there were some breaks along the way, but they took full advantage of their breaks by paying the ultimate price that it takes to win at the highest levels. There were absolutely no passengers on this team. Their first line with Gallagher didn't score, but they found other ways to make a legit difference. As Dano, they sacrificed not just their stats, but their bodies, their health, their reputation for the greater good. I mean, look around and ask yourself, how often did you see that from an entire team? And then ask yourself, if the two teams that did that the best sacrificed everything they had to get there weren't in the Stanley Cup final. Both Tampa and Montreal got contributions from almost everybody. And Montreal, for three rounds, there were absolutely no passengers. They knew what it meant, and they executed as a team. Just look back at the pictures of Weber and Gallagher after the game and how the teammates were the ones to come over and console their leaders. I mean, if you're a Habs fan, that price, that sacrifice, that team is what I would be most proud of one day later. And I'm a fan, if I'm a fan of any other team, you need to take a good, hard look and ask yourself if your team truly has that. Because that's what it takes to win. And keep in mind, as you mentioned, Tampa didn't have that. But they took that good, hard look at themselves after a sweep against Columbus two years ago and made the hard change to go get it from outside and from within. And I saw it in Montreal. I saw it in Tampa. And I don't know how many other places I saw it this postseason. Very well said. And from a roster construction standpoint, I think Habs fans are very encouraged by what they saw from Nick Suzuki. They finally have a, you would think, top-line center that they've been craving for so long. Cole Caulfield this is, gonna is be going to be a rookie next year. But this is going to be tough because they've got, and listen, I'm with you, the, the, the maturation that we saw from certain players, mm -hmm. and Suzuki is highest among my list, yep. and Caulfield, like, you just saw the magic that he has. But this window is very, very small for Montreal, and the kids need to come a long way and the older guys need to stay. Mm -hmm. And that's such a delicate balance. And you look at this division, my God, this division. Everyone, I brought up the Atlantic division a couple of years ago, and people thought I was being Toronto-centric because I thought it was ridiculous that at one point near the end of the season, Tampa, Montreal, and Toronto were three of the top five teams in the league. Like, who gets out of the Atlantic next year? Who are the top four teams in the Atlantic next year? Never mind who gets out. Only three qualify. You might get five if you get the two wild card spots. Like, who gets out? 
Yeah, I think Habs fans have to be careful here to not um, exaggerate what they accomplished and maybe necessarily go all in because, like you just said, the division is going to be very difficult. You're tell fans not to go no, all in. I, but you have to be realistic about expectations. It's very difficult. I understand that that's that is the hardest. You thing always to do want your world. team. You yeah. always want your team to go all in, but you have to also keep in mind that where you stood coming into the playoffs. Right. Like, that that's not a fluke either. Right. And just because you had three and a bit really, really impressive series that you played against three or four different teams, yeah. that shouldn't ma- mean that you should change the anything or go all in necessarily. Does, does the NHL need – and let me, I'll just say it. Does the NHL need to change the playoff format? If you look at that, I mean, Tampa's not going to be as good. They're going to lose a few pieces. Yep. We all know that. Tam- uh, Boston isn't what they used to be, but they're still really good. Florida's on the move. Now, Buffalo and Detroit, okay, I see uh, Ottawa should be better. Ottawa's getting better, but that's a tough top three to crack, and then you got to play each other right away. Yeah, I think that's just uh, just underscores how difficult it is to win in this league. Yeah, that's like most teams, maybe that's the line. Yeah. Most teams are in a similar situation to Montreal where they need certain guys to keep their level and they need other guys to explode and be better. Otherwise, you're just not going to get it done. Like it's That's why they say the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win. And if you're in the Pacific right now, yeah. smile. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Smile. No doubt. Um, let's move to Nikita Kucherov. You okay. knew this was coming. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Uh, I can't wait for it. Uh, 32, knew it was going? Points. 32 points. Uh, let all scores in the playoff. Nine more than teammate Braden Point. He was second on the list. And if you thought he stole the show during the playoffs on the ice... Here's his post-game availability with the media, and it was, of course, amazing, unless you're a Habs fan. Sorry, Sebi. From the Lightning, we have Nikita Kucherov. Media, please raise your hand if you have a question. We'll start with Joe Smith, the athletic. Joe, let's hear it. <laughs> Just, let's uh, <laughs> how would you describe your, congratulations. Uh, how would you describe your emotions right now after doing what you guys did? I, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's f- back to back, and yeah, you know, I I couldn't sleep for three nights. You know, and uh, to be able to win this game is huge. Wasi was outstanding, MVP. I was telling him every day, Wasi, you MVP, you you're the best player. And then they gave it to whatever the guy in Vegas, the Vezina. And then last year they they gave Vezina to somebody else, number one bull, number one bull. Wasi took both cups. You know, he took MVP, and I was keep telling him he's MVP. He's the guy that <laughs> he's the best. You know, he was on his head today, and you know, he kept us in the game. And another shout out for, by him, remarkable. Can't even tell more. I'm so happy we. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to Montreal, but they acted. The fans in Montreal, come on, they acted like they won the Stanley Cup last game. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? John Romano, they, Tampa they, Bay Times. Their final was last, <laughs> last series. Okay. Oh. That's going to be played forever. There's so much to unpack yeah. there. Like, it, I want, first off, I want to print off the T-shirts, <laughs> right? Number one, bull. Yeah, yeah you're going to get it on the iPad, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, that has, that yeah. has to be it. Like, we have right. to have a ceremony to put that <laughs> on the iPad. Uh, the Joe Let's Hear It was very underrated. And I have so many questions here, Jesse. Like, how how quickly did he get drunk? Like, that's a drunk press conference, right? I don't think there's any question about that. Um, 
Like no tarp comes. He knew it was no tarp when he came out with no tarp. He knew he had already indulged. Like that's okay. But hold on. I, do you know that I actually timed it? I timed it okay. from the picture on the ice. Like you're not drinking before the picture. No. There yep. were no beers on the ice no. unless there was something hidden under the bench, and he went over and was just did some Jager bombs no. or something. Yeah. Like I don't know what he was doing, but I timed it from. The start of his press conference, all the way back to the shot on the ice, it was 42 minutes. Like, realistically, you can have, like, what, 10 beers in that time? You can get drunk in 42 minutes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you chug, like, five, six beers immediately, like, you're, you're, you're drunk. He, he was drunk. There's no question about it. It's 100% he was drunk. I, I'm, I'm not doubting that. I'm just saying, even if I hammered five beers it would take a while for it to hit me i'd be in the hospital first of all <laughs> or over the toilet first okay the hospital. how uh, how poll question how long does it take you to get drunk like <laughs> that's, that's a, to enter your a, bloodstream like I, yeah okay as you get older i think it's it's quicker right i don't even drink anymore and i don't think i can get drunk in 40 right. minutes well yeah it's an accomplishment but i, I guarantee <laughs> that he pulled it, it off okay and he it pulled it off and it wasn't just like one answer the one answer was the one that went viral but, like, he was on fire the entire – here's the whole thing. Like, I don't know how long it ended up being, but, mm -hmm. man, we have highlights. Here's Kucherov, the best of. Thank you, guys. Yeah! <laughs> Ready for the main event. Here's the main event. Open everybody. Let's go, baby! No, no big deal. Get more drinks. You got drinks? What are you, what are you doing? No, 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 no. Uh, you have a drink? Where's champagne? What's your name? Steve, I like it. That boy Steve. Okay. Right, Steve. What's it like to be able to celebrate with guys that you've grown up with? What did you say? Buy a, buy, buy a new mic. Last question, Ed NNC in a Tampa Bay Times. Nikita, after doing this in, in the bubble in 65, 65 days in the bubble last year, how special was it to be able to do this on, on home ice with your family and friends and just kind of enjoy that whole atmosphere at the end? Well, it's, it's a lot of questions too today, eh? Come on. I'm used to, to, to one, two questions, but today is like, what, five? <laughs> Keep making record. Oh, five. Good thing he doesn't live in a Canadian yeah. market, eh? Holy cow, five. <laughs> What's he say? Buy a new mic might yeah. be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> What's he say? Buy so we sent out a tweet earlier today and showed a picture of Kucherov that simply says, what does he do for a living? Wrong answers only. Again, tarps off, sitting at the podium, what does he do for a living? Wrong answers only. This can go throughout the whole show. Jesse, do you have a couple of examples? I know Kelly Rudy is waiting, so I don't want to keep him waiting. Yeah, sure. Robbie says, drunken janitor that everyone loves. <laughs> Except in Montreal. Except in Montreal. Yeah. Danny says, plans participation parades in Montreal. Oh, snap. Look snap. out. Uh, Rob says, Carney responsible for roller coaster safety checks. <laughs> I worked in the really car once. Uh, on Instagram, Vast writes in and says, "Fakes injuries to collect workers' comp." Yeah, that's yeah. Ryan, professional, 
professional hide and seek player hides on LTIR. I think, oh, I think, I think hey. we need to get out of the way that I, we don't have a problem with what he said. Like, Montreal fans are not going to like this, and he should be booed or probably will be booed in Montreal whenever he touches the puck, probably for the rest of his career. But that's fine. Like, we have to add that caveat. I guess we do. I, think we I do. guess you're right, but it's he was just. Drunk. Yeah. We just, <laughs> just speaking the truth. Some of us speak the truth yeah. when we're drunk. We and want that. Sometimes we speak too much of the truth. But yes, it's entertainment. It's fun. You can be mad. It's fine. He's okay with it. He's yeah. a big boy. He's got his big boy pants on. No shirt, but big boy pants on. <laughs> All right, the season's over, but we've already got a couple juicy rumors. Um, we've got a ton of stuff coming up. Is Oliver Ekman Larson on the move? Is Vladimir Tarasenko on the move? We're going to get to all that a little later on in the show. Uh, but I want to get to break because I know that Kelly Rudy is waiting. So Oliver Ekman Larson, Tarasenko, hot stoves already started. Love it. This is going to be a crazy offseason. Off season. fun, too. Off it's it's fun already too. begun. Yeah. Arvidsson's gone. Expansion draft. Already begun. So we've got a ton coming up. Plenty more reaction. Kelly Rudy up next, as I mentioned. Dominic Moore a little later on. Jason Alec Manoa to the Hill uh, looking to take the series from the Orioles. Arden Swelling will join us in game two of the NBA Finals. Ramona Shelburne will help us tee it up. Tim and friends. Number one bolt. <laughs> Encore performance. But this one might be even sweeter as he shares it with all of Tampa Bay. No big deal. Uh, you have a drink? That trade deadline looming. More and more rumors starting to swirl. And Cruz powers one. Ball game. Oh, God. We thought the hurricane was. Look at this. <laughs> 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 That's what five days in Montreal looks like. That's so bad. So the stage set for game number five of the Stanley Cup final. And an air of anticipation and celebration here at Emily Arena. Win at home scenario. The Canadians look to send a be careful what you wish for message tonight. Carey Price, he has been sharp once again early on in this hockey game. Price has stopped all of them so far. Second period. Here comes a chance of touchdown. It is the rookie. Start the third period. Centered in front. What a stop. Oh, a great stop by Carey Price. Anderson moving it on Vasilevsky, who makes the stop. Great save. Supercharged atmosphere here now. And the fans on their feet here at Avalia Arena. And Lightning has struck twice. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back to back. Stanley Cup champions. It is my honor to present you with the Stanley Cup. This one might be even sweeter as he shares it with all of Tampa Bay. Deep breath, and I, I know we have a pretty good gig talking sports here, but my next guest just finished the grind of the playoffs and still found time to join us in what is usually the exhale day. My friend and yours, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, have I told you lately how much I appreciate you doing this? Thank you very much. 
<laughs> you have. And you know what? I don't think I've exhaled quite yet. I think it's still hockey still on the brain. So I, I hope by the weekend that I'll finally have that exhale. Our grandson, uh, Maverick, is playing soccer. So Saturday morning, I'll go to soccer nice. practice. And hopefully that'll be the start of my summer and clear my mind. Is that the greatest thing about being a granddad is just walking over and watching the kid play some sort of sport and or do something <laughs> they love? 100 percent uh what day's today uh thursday so tuesday he was he took his first swimming lesson so of course uh nanny and i went over there and watched and so it's just it's a wonderful experience uh, and when other people go uh becoming a grandparent you won't believe how wonderful it is uh without a doubt uh you can see it in the eyes of all grandparents when they're in and around the grandkids <laughs> and when they spoil yeah. them and ruin things for dad and mom like me <laughs> right. oh my gosh uh, let me let me just ask you about yeah. the Kucherov before we move on because I like okay. it was entertaining to me. I'm okay with things being entertaining. You're allowed to be kind of pissed off at what he said, but you can't be mad at him for having a few drinks, going on the podium on the day that he won a championship and saying what he said. Can you? I'm perfectly fine with it. Listen, you know, it's not conventional, of course, but yeah. today's a different world. And I heard you and Jesse talking before I came on about the drinks and how many drinks would it take to get <laughs> to start feeling it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I got to tell you, when, when you've just played a hockey game and you've sweated out, I don't know, seven pounds, listen, if you have one or two drinks, it's going right to your head. So right. it's not going to take very long. I, I remember when... Uh, I hope people find this funny, but after the Easter epic back in 87, back in those days, we still had beer in the dressing room after a game. And uh, after that game, I think the game ended at four minutes to two. By the time we did the handshake and some press and stuff, it was about 2.15 when I was in the dressing room. And I hammered back two quick beers. And I got, I got to tell you, I had no water after the game or anything. I just took those two beers and it went directly to my head. So if I would have done media after that, I can't imagine what ridiculous things I might have said. Yeah, and the other part was, like, he had been feeling it, too. And I don't know, like, what they – you guys had a rib. Apparently his agent said he played right? with a fractured rib. Like, there's a lot – I understand there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, and to me, it was just funny. But I understand why Montreal pan, fans are pissed. They they lost to a team in five games, and he said some things right. that, that may have may have turned the knife a little bit. Uh, <laughs> if you're on that Montreal team, though, and you're on your way back, or you're in that dressing room, or you're in the plane after, like, what, what do you say to the group after a moment like that? Well, there's not much. Yeah. Uh, I remember our flight back from Montreal in 93 after yeah. that uh, was crushing defeat in five games also. And there was not much uh, talk. There wasn't much communication. Um, it's just a, a day you're trying to sort of accept it and sort of move forward. You can see the expression that these guys had after the game. And listen, this feeling that they're going through right now is not going to go away soon. Kevin Bieksa talked about it last night in our show. Uh, I'm on record many times saying, although it should be a moment that you're proud of going to the Stanley Cup Finals, and there's really no shame in losing in the finals, it to this day is still uh, gut-wrenching and uh, the worst hockey memory I have. I, I mean, uh, I'm certainly over it to a certain degree, but when you know, I think of what I should be happy about or proud about, this is, it's not a moment to, that I go back to, well, we lost in the finals, so there's that. You know, it's, right. it's nothing like that. You just, it's one of uh, 
not finishing what you started. And, and in this case for Montreal, they had such a great run and for it to end so quickly. That's the other thing that people I don't think quite realize how athletes just sort of look back and go, what just happened? How, how are we on this roll for what, six yeah. weeks or seven weeks and all of a sudden it's done in a week? I mean, it just happens quickly. We had Dave Anderchuk on the show, and he was more like we were talking about the storybook that he got in Tampa, and he says '93 just grinds his gears. Like the Leafs team that lost to your Kings team, that he, yeah, he's more worried about that '93 team and how close they were versus the team where he got his storybook ending. It's crazy, right? How the how the brain works, right? Why would you think that? I, I tell you what. You know, what should be more devastating is a first-round loss or not making the playoffs. And I've been in those situations. I think three years in my career, I didn't make the playoffs. And, uh, and a, two or three times, maybe, I lost in the first round. You'd think that'd be crushing, right? Yeah. And yet, the losing in the finals feels way worse. And so, you know, there should be more shame or embarrassment losing in the first round. Yet, you know, it's, uh, you, you also understand the first round's the hardest to get out of, right? So you look at some of these teams that lost in the first round. There's some pretty good teams there, right? Yep. But uh, you need, not only does everybody have to play well, but you need a break here or two every once in a while. So I'll never get into that spot. Uh, I don't think Jesse, Jesse looks like he's young, but he's not that young. Um, we'll never be in that spot. When, when you were talking and I saw Brendan Gallagher's face on the ice, um, standing there, like what... What goes, do you remember what went through your mind when you watched Montreal celebrate and you were waiting for them to finish those celebrations so that you could shake their hand? Um, boy, uh, maybe a little bit of regret, wondering personally if you could have done more, uh, wondering when it turned, um, how you lost the momentum. Just, it's a time of reflection for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I felt sadness, I have to tell you that. Uh, I don't recall saying anything to anybody on Montreal Canadiens in the handshake line. I may have, I doubt it, but uh, I would see no reason to say anything. You no, know, it's a different world now, of course. Uh, they're friends, more friends with each other than back in our time, and so you see more where they pat each other on the back or you know on the head or something, but in my day, uh, I can't recall ever saying anything nice to anybody, and I don't recall anybody saying nice, anything nice to me. Uh, it was tough for me to watch Shea Weber and Carey Price at the podium after the game, and I don't know if you caught it, but you know Price took it on himself, and then Weber jumped in mm -hmm. to protect his goalie, and I thought it was such a cool moment. Yeah. And then you, you you figure like, I mean, these are two guys that have won at every level except for the NHL, and they're you know they've got gold medals and they've played, you know, I wrote it down here, seven seventeen hundred forty five regular season games and one hundred ninety five right. more in the postseason. Like, when you're sitting there, did, was there a, like, did you, did you feel for them? Did you understand what they were going through sitting at the well, podium? 100%. And I'll tell you the, how my brain works. So I get off our show. We do our hit. So I go upstairs. The TV's on. My wife is watching the post game. And there's uh, Weber and Price. And uh, I actually, I went and made a drink for myself. I had no interest in listening. I, I Strangely, I couldn't listen to what they were saying because I felt so badly for them. So yeah. I didn't want to go down that road. I didn't want to sort of uh, remember what my thought process would have been post-game and uh, how uh, I might have dealt with the media. Uh, in fact, I can't even remember it. That's how crushing the, the loss can be. So 
I think that for me, I just needed to sort of not uh, go back down that road. I was perfectly fine watching Tampa, and I felt very excited for those guys, but I just had no interest in watching the Canadians go through that misery. I get it. Um, big picture, what do you think the lessons learned from this postseason were? Like, if you take kind of the, the broad stroke look at it, I know a lot of people brought up officials and how the game is officiated in the postseason. A lot of people were talking about big, strong defensemen and whether or not that will turn into uh, – Going into the postseason, people were saying, I didn't need to spend a lot of money on goaltenders. And then all of a sudden, it was all big money Hmm. goaltenders are in the final again. What's the big picture that you take from this year's postseason? I think the last number of years, the big picture I take away from watching the Stanley Cup finals and seeing the cup presented is that just how hard it is to win. And not only just to get there, but to win. And I look at, a lot of times, I'll look at a team that might not make the playoffs but they're very very close or they'll lose in the first round and I'll think to myself at at that time I'll think boy that team's not far away from going to the finals or winning a cup and then we get to the conclusion of the playoffs and I go I was so wrong they're not even close like to get to this level and to get to this point so many things have to go right but the number one thing that you have to do is outcompete the other people and yeah. you have to try and find a way to crush their will and their spirit and it's not easy to do and that's why there's only one champion but that's my takeaway basically at the end of every stanley cup finals that to, for them to accomplish this is a phenomenal feat and they are tampa for sure well-deserving champions it's funny because in every postseason rollout and that's that's a a fancy tv term for that montage that you see at the end of the postseason we always remember how much sacrifice goes into actually winning those 16 games and i find in the middle at 72 or 78 in a regular season we completely forget about that until you get back to the postseason and to me you're bang on it's it's do you have that in your room the willingness to sacrifice, to lay it on the line, and to crush yeah. the will of your opponent. Yeah, and I, I heard you guys again, Jesse and Tim, I heard you guys talking before I came on, talking about maybe one of the most important lessons Tampa learned in their history is when they lost to Columbus and were swept, uh, what, three playoffs ago. Yeah. Because I, I think sometimes... You, you say it, it's just a cliche. You, you say something like, well, I hope we learn from this. And oftentimes uh, people don't or teams don't. But in this case, I truly believe that Tampa did learn a lesson. But the number one guy that learned the biggest lesson, and he was very honest about it, was Vasilevsky. Because after that Columbus series, he didn't say, we as a team need to be better. He put it on himself. He said, I need to be better. Now he's won two consecutive Stanley Cups. He's been nominated four consecutive years for the Vesna. He is just simply the best goaltender in the world. Kelly, we appreciate you. Uh, thanks for doing this, and enjoy the soccer game on the weekend, okay? You got it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. There is a proud grandfather, Kelly Rudy, from his uh, now-famous Calgary area office. Oh, yeah. Great shirt. Great T-shirt, too. Yeah, he nice always rocks the T-shirt. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, we should grab a few of those. Yeah. I'll come on the show. Yeah. Sure. yeah. All right. After the break, uh, we'll talk some baseball. Shohei Otani continues to make history, and the Jays are being linked with the ageless Nelson Cruz. No game tonight. Been rained out in Baltimore. We will fill you in next on Tim and Friends on the information. The information.
This is Tim and Friends live on Sportsnet, and we're going the full two hours on Sportsnet. No Blue Jays Central because the Blue Jays have been postponed against Brutal. the Baltimore Orioles. Now, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I even watched the NBA Finals. You tonight. like doubleheaders, though. Uh, I'm a fan of weekend, weekend doubleheaders. Doubleheaders, and this actually will be a weekend uh, doubleheader, but Saturday, September the 11th is when they will replay this game. But I want to get back to Kucherov, mm. tie a little bow on what was one of the greatest post games I have ever seen, and it's easy for me to say because I'm not a fan of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not a fan of any team. I just sit here and talk for a living. And Kucherov, Maybe should sit there and talk for a living if we're talking about the WWE because that was <laughs> full-on promo. He turned heel to many Montreal Canadiens fans. So we took the picture of him, tarps off at the podium, and said, what does he do for a living? Wrong answers only. Again, what does he do for a living? Wrong answers only. Jesse, I know you have a few more. All I have to do is scroll down a little bit. David says, a Three Stooges understudy. <laughs> it's, I almost want to go back to the picture every single time we say one, because just to make it, give you a visual representation of what he looked like. Okay, moving on. Uh, a roofer who will disappear once he gets his paycheck. <laughs> Why do roofers have such a bad... I know a couple of roofers. Yeah, that's, that's mean, but the, it's all right. Danny, thanks for writing in. Uh, Mike, worldwide spokesman for the dad bod. Yeah, not bad. Not yeah. bad for, uh, for a dude who may be among the best players on planet I mean, if you looked Earth. at Kucherov, like, I, I mean, you wouldn't think that guy... He's a world-class athlete. A world-class athlete that just became the third player in NHL history to score 30 points. But Gretzky wasn't like that either, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Gretzky was just a dude. That is uh, a good Arnold writes in on Instagram and says, Russian slap champion. <laughs> That's pretty good. Daddy, safety inspector at the local power plant with the Simpsons <laughs> gif. And I got to say, uh, Faisal got a lot of love for this one. Faisal Kamisa, Sportsnet Central. Uh, play regular season hockey. Oh, what does he do for a living? Wrong answers only. And the answer is play, play regular, regular season, season hockey. hockey. Yeah. Very well played phase with that one for sure uh, gord wrote in on instagram uh, we can't grab all the instagrams that easily but mm. gord wrote in on instagram and said uh, hurts montreal canadians fans feelings yeah uh, we said we said wrong answers only very good yeah <laughs> that was the right answer uh if you guys want to take the computer one more time eric smith wrote in raptors play-by-play which is <laughs> yeah timmy's stone cold face here I, I, is eric suggesting that that's what he looks like Kucherov looks like him, or he looks like Kucherov? Like I, th I think that Kucherov looks like him in that instance. Okay. Um, Cheddar11 on Instagram says, he's an actor. That's Tom Green. <laughs> looks a lot. Does look like Tom Green. Does he look like Tom Green? Bit, I don't yeah, see it. Bit. I'm sorry. You missed me on that one. Uh, professional bear wrestler. Yeah, he looks more like Eric Smith than Tom Green. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I'm good. That's it for me. Uh, that's it for Jesse. Uh, and maybe because I was mean to his last three. That's okay. That's fine. You can't bat a thousand. Yeah, you can't no, bat a thousand. you can't bat a thousand. I never do. Uh, so earlier today, we mentioned the Jays have been postponed. Mm. And that puts off a game against the Orioles tonight. They have now three, four, three left. As this was the getaway three game. Left, so three, three games left. Uh, they're all against Tampa before the All-Star break. Could they be adding an All-Star to the lineup? John Heyman tweeting out earlier today, A's and J's among possibilities for Nelson Cruz. Can you imagine Toronto's lineup with Cruz 
at MLB Network. Now, this runs quickly. And in my head, I'm like, if that was a left-handed bat, okay? Like, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense for me unless mm. you're moving on from one of those outfielders. And that's like, was Rowdy Tellez a domino or just an extra piece? You always have to ask yourself, like, what are the Jays giving up? And it's a hard game to play when you hear rumors like this because you, you just don't know. You don't know what wheels are in motion in the Blue Jays' front office. But we posted this uh, question, like, would, on Instagram and Twitter, would Nelson Cruz's addition uh, make the Jays' favorites in the AL East? I mean, their offense would be absolutely ridiculous, but most people said Jays still need pitching. They right. need pitching. They wouldn't get that excited about well, that, Nelson Cruz. But that's why I say if you get him, then what's the next Absolutely. Full-time DA. All right. We'll ask Arden Zwelling later on. Stanley Cup final may be over, but it's still championship season. NBA finals getting set. Game number two tonight in Phoenix. Can the Bucks slow down Chris Paul and the Suns? We'll check in with Ramona Shelburne. NBA finals. Next. Muchas gracias, Sheepdogs. Tim and Friends rolls on for this Thursday. We're now with you full hour across the board. Jays and Orioles have been rained out tonight in Baltimore. So no Jays game tonight. We'll be joined by Arden Zwelling in a little bit to talk Jays. There are some rumors despite the rain out. Nelson Cruz plus Ramona Shelburne on the NBA Finals. However, we start with Tampa Bay Lightning and mainly Nikita Kucherov. They have some time to uh, nurse their hangovers and get ready for a Stanley Cup parade, which will go on Monday in Tampa. Although, if he's anything like Ovi, he just might go all the way till Monday. <laughs> um, it'll be a boat parade just like last year. If you love your boat parades, kids, I'm not talking tr Trump boat parades because those ended up with, a, I don't know. It gets going <laughs> at 11 a.m. No word if Tom Brady will attend or if he'll have a bodyguard that ends up getting re-signed because he was the bodyguard. Meanwhile, Leafs have re-signed restricted free agent defenseman Travis Dermott. It's a two-year contract with an average annual value of $1.5 Of course, with Seattle's expansion draft less than two weeks away, there is a chance that Dermott could be exposed in that draft. And today he was asked if he was given any assurances by the Leafs. Not really. Like, uh, it's... You never know what's going to happen, right? And uh, during a hockey game, uh, in the numbers of the hockey game, on the in the trades after, you never know what's going to happen. Anything can happen. So, uh, you, like I said, it's in the back of your mind. It's it's a possibility. Nothing nothing was assured that I wasn't going anywhere. That's that's for sure. Um, but uh, it's it's kind of just whatever happens happens. But um, I got my got my eyes set going forward right now. As mentioned, Jays Orioles has been rained out. The game will be made up as a part of a double bill on September 11th, which was originally the middle of a three-game series. So now they'll have four games mid-September against the worst team in the AL. Maybe not all that bad. The Jays, of course, have four all-stars, including three starters in Tuesday's Midsummer Classic in Colorado. We will have it all, including Monday's Home Run Derby right here on Sportsnet. Now, 
two Astros, Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, have both pulled out of the All-Star game. Both players saying they needed the time to rest and recharge for the second half of the season. Excuse me. Now, cynics will say that they didn't want the negative attention and reaction to the sign-stealing scandal, but also Correa's wife is pregnant, and he has said that. So... The Dodgers' Trevor Bauer's administrative leave has been extended by seven days Major League Baseball with approval from the Players Association. Police and the league continue to investigate sexual assault allegations against him. Unless something is resolved by then, the league and the union will discuss an indefinite extension on that. To Wimbledon, and the women's final is set. It will feature number one Ash Barty going up against... Eight-seeded Carolina Pliskova. Barty beat Angelique Kerber in straight sets to reach her first-ever Wimbledon final. She has just one career Grand Slam victory to her name, while Pliskova uh, beat the two-seed in three sets after lose came back two sets down to win. Pliskova has never won a major and will play in her first Wimbledon final on Saturday. Men's semis go tomorrow, including Denis Shapovalov against... Novak Djokovic. Game two of the NBA Finals on tap tonight in Phoenix. Chris Paul led the Suns to a dominant game one victory, but they will be without Dario Saric for the rest of the way after he tore his ACL in game number one. Giannis played 35 minutes after returning from an injury in game one and said he felt good afterwards. Tip-off just after 9 Eastern between the Bucks and the Suns in Phoenix. All right, time now to continue that conversation. Game two of the NBA Finals. We bring in one of our favorites, ESPN senior writer Ramona Shelburne, who joins us now. Ramona, thank you for taking the time and doing this with us. Oh, you're welcome, man. I'm, I'm happy to be inside. It's 112 outside today, so. It's, uh, it's <laughs> pouring to be here right where in Toronto, and 112 is a, a, a tad oh, yeah. bit warm. Yeah, and it doesn't cool off at night either. Yeah. It's, it's rough. In, in, in 112, <laughs> even my hair gets frizzy, Ramona. Yeah, no, I, there's no saving. You just don't put anything in your hair. That's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, uh, it's hot. Who right. cares? Let's talk game yeah. two. Um, game one was interesting in that it seemed that the Suns were able to get to a lot of spots that they wanted to get mm-hmm. to. They weren't very uncomfortable. What do you think the Bucks need to do to adjust and stop that? Well, I, I sat with every player on the box who talked to the media yesterday, and the only thing they kept saying is, we gave up way too many free throws, and we turned the ball over way too many times. And I think you know, they were just a little sloppy with the ball. They just, you know, they're, they're actually generally a pretty good team at not fouling and giving you free ones, and they're pretty good in transition D, and they just weren't in game one. And so the Bucs have lost the first game in every series so far, so this is pretty standard for them. <laughs> yes. um, they're not but going I think to panic. They, yeah, I mean, they look at it as we actually didn't play very well and we were in it. And and I think that's that's a pretty good assessment of it. And if they can just kind of tighten up the um, the fouling, if they can tighten up their turnovers, if they can tighten up the transition defense, it's a lot closer game. Because, you know, you had one team that had a lot of rest going into the first game there, another team that was coming off. They, they got done playing on Saturday, and then the game was on Tuesday. They had a couple flights in between. There wasn't a whole lot of time. So I think this feels like much more of an even match now in game two that we they've sort of felt each other out. Is that what happens when you have to wait 16 years to play your first NBA <laughs> Finals game for Chris Paul? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he is amazing right now. And I, 
I think, look, I'm 41. So when I see a 36 year old guy doing what he's doing, it's, it's awesome. I'm like, yes, way to go for the older ones. Right. Um, and I, you know, I had, I had Chris when he, uh, came to the Clippers, he was in LA with, I, I'm based out of Los Angeles. And I remember, I just, I'll never forget the press conference he gave. And remember he had the whole back and forth, you know, I was with the Lakers and the trade gets undone and he's with the Clippers and there's a whole back. And, and so, I, you know, he came there, he was, it was, it was ten, 2011. So it's really 10 years from that point. And I think he thought he would have been to the finals a lot sooner than that. So um, it's, 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 it's great to finally see him here. It, he really is one of the best point guards of all time. He's finally here and he's fresh. I mean, you know, he's, he, he looks like, you know, I know he's 36. I know he had some injuries. I know he's got stuff still going on, but he seems like he's doing really well. It almost makes me want to go vegan. <laughs> you know, that's been the secret to his success. I'm like, well, I really should try that because he looks great out there. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, let's talk about, let's unfurl the, the Los Angeles angle there for a second mm-hmm. because Devin Booker um, seemed to have a pretty good relationship with Kobe Bryant. And I know yeah. that you wrote a story about a UCLA guy and Earl Watson yeah. who uh, kind of had, it seems like, Devin Booker has this greatness gene and we're starting to see it kind of show itself. Well, what's amazing about Devin is he was just this kid who came into the league and I don't think we all took him all that seriously because he's on the Suns and they didn't win and they were always in the lottery and and he was, you know, 13th pick. By the way, Kobe was the 13th pick. He always likes that. He likes to point that out. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I, when you say he was a little close with Kobe, like this is not even, I can't even describe to you how close they were. Like, Devin idolized Kobe. Everything Devin did when he was first in the league was Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. And all he, anybody who knew Kobe, anybody who could tell him something about Kobe, anybody who could introduce him, he just wanted to talk to you about Kobe all the time. And um, Kobe kind of made him do what Jordan did to him, which is like, he was like, that's nice kid. I'll talk with you, whatever. He gave him his number. But like, he didn't necessarily call him back right away. Like he kind of made him work for it. Like, how much do you want my advice? How much are you going to work for this? And so I think that's what's fun about Devin is um, he really does have that Kobe idolization. And there's so many players of his generation that grew up idolizing Kobe, like out with the guy. But you know, there's so many people. I'm sure the same thing for Michael, right? Everybody from that generation is Michael. But Michael was only going to he will give you a chance, but you have to prove it to him over the course of a long time. And I think that um, Devin did. Like, of that generation, the two guys that Kobe mentored who have proven it on the biggest stage are probably Devin Booker and Kyrie Irving. Those are the two, you know, guys he's taken under his wing. Jason Tatum was another, but he hasn't quite broken through yet. Right. Um, and so all of us who just saw Devin Booker as a good shooter, right, um, this is a story that I wrote the other day on ESPN.com. Um, I, I was playing catch up. Everybody I called, Ryan McDonough, the former general manager, he was, um, he was telling me the story of a draft workout with Devin Booker. And I said, How'd you know he was this good? Like, he didn't even start at Kentucky. And yeah. he said, Well, he came in for this draft workout. And we put him through this game of knockouts, sort of one on one. You get on the court and you, you stay on offense until somebody stops you. And then as soon as you lose, you go into, you play defense. And as soon as you somebody scores on you, then you swap out. And, you know, we only have an hour with these guys. And they put Devin out there, and nobody stopped him. Like, he just kept scoring and scoring. And they were like, hey, we got to move the drill along. We got to, you know, we got more guys to see. <laughs> and, uh, and and they, and they said to Devin, like, hey, it's good. We, we, we get the point. You're good. And he goes, no, these aren't the rules. And he said, and he used some colorful language, okay. And this is an 18-year-old kid who didn't even start at Kentucky who just won't get off the court. And he's saying – 
the four letter words to some executives and some coaches. And they were like, oh, I mean, they were a little stunned that he had the guts to do that. But they also kind of loved it. Like, oh, this guy's competitive. We like that. And so um, as soon as you meet him and and he seems like this nice guy, he was a little chubby when he came in the league, remember? But when you meet him and you play with him, like people recognize pretty quickly, like this guy has that competitiveness. This guy has that greatness gene. And we're just now finally seeing it. If uh, if Kobe had have seen that workout where he was cussing out executives, he would have dropped the yeah. door immediately. Like the wall would have come down. He went, "That's my guy right there." Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny when when you brought that up about Kobe. I'd almost forgotten. Like, remember a tongue out too? Like he he yeah. was tr- he was literally trying same fadeaway, same leg yep. spray when he was doing the fadeaway. Oh like, yeah, everything was Michael, and it there was without a doubt this kind of like tip of the cap where. That uh-huh. was one generation, and the next generation looks at Kobe the same way. Yeah, and they and it, Book did his move on him. Like Earl told me another story. You know, he wasn't sure Kobe was going to play that last game in Phoenix because Kobe had sat out the two games before. And and Earl Watson was a coach at the time, and and Devin's calling him, and he goes, "Hey, is is, is Kobe going to play? Do you think he's going to play, Coach? I really want you know." And Co- and and Earl was like, "I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I'm not the coach of the Lakers, like." We, Probably. It's his last time in Phoenix. He's probably going to want to give him one more show. He's been trying to play all the last road games in each city. He'll probably play. And Book's like, I can't even sleep. It's 2 in the morning. I'm so excited. So after the game, you know, or sorry, we'll, let's go back a little. So they play the game. And the first thing Book does is he does a Kobe move on Kobe. And and uh, Kobe loved it. because and, and Book was like, hey, you know, what do you think? And and Kobe because I did the same thing to Michael the first time we played, right? Like the, this is, yeah. you know, this is their, 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 it was like an honorary thing. But in that game, which was so fun for Book and Kobe and, and all that, it's, um, they really are, uh, like he had, he admired him. He, he idolized him. He wanted to be like him, but he had to prove it. And I think he really did. And, and, you know, in that first round series, Tyson Chandler, who was his teammate at the time, they played the Lakers and Booker obviously had an incredible series. And Tyson says, you know, I almost tweeted this at the time, but all I could think watching this was, man, Kobe's talking to him. He's at Staples Center. He's talking to him right now. Yeah. That's all he's thinking about. And and you can just see, like, it's amazing when you don't, when somebody like Devin Booker comes out of, I don't want to say comes out of nowhere, but comes out of NBA obscurity, right? He was on a team that was in the lottery the last six years. I mean, we didn't know he was this good. Yeah, no, but he is. There was a lot of like, uh, <laughs> if you want to go old school, like Reggie Theus or Kelly Trapuca, yeah. where you thought, ah, this guy scores on a bad team. Someone's yeah. got to score on the bad team. But He's showing this moxie. And the one other story that I'm going to tee from your, from your story is the P.J. Tucker one because it's so interesting yeah. to see them go <laughs> yeah. at each other at this level when Earl Watson did that in practice. I mean, Earl Watson was the head coach there, but he was he's kind of still just right done with his playing career. So he's more like a player than a coach at that right. point. And T.J. Tucker, you have to remember, he's this – he was a – he's younger. Now he's kind of an older veteran guy, but he's – he played overseas before he got made it to the NBA. He really had to earn his spot in the NBA. And he earned his spot by learning how to defend one through five. He's a tough, hard-nosed defender. And so he would put PJ on – Earl would put PJ on book during practice, and he would just say, go, just just mess with him. And to the point where they almost got in fights all the time. And, uh, like, one time the coaches were like, oh, we got to break this up. They're going to they're, they're gonna come to blows. They're going to throw fists at each other, like hockey style. And <laughs> Earl was like, no, no, no. This is iron sharpening iron. Just let them go. Uh, let that, them go. That's awesome. And now to see them go yeah. toe-to-toe in the NBA <laughs> finals, very interesting. Yep.
I uh, love sharing the stories. Thanks for doing this. And uh, stay cool. Like 112, that's nothing to joke with. It's No, I, I literally drive from my car to the five minutes it took to get the credential. I'm not even going to walk. <laughs> not at all. And walk as little as possible here. <laughs> all right. Be well. Stay cool. And uh, we'll talk good. to you soon. All right. There is uh, Ramona Shelburne from Phoenix. Uh, 112. That's just a group to me. Uh, Jays rained out tonight. Now just three games more before the All-Star break, which means they'll head into the break above 500. Do your math, kids. Arden Zwelling joins us next to discuss where the team's at, plus some rumors floating. Does Nelson Cruz make sense for the Toronto Blue Jays? He can hit. We'll discuss it. Zwelling next. Tim and Friends. This is an offense that just keeps coming at you. Lined into left field. McKenna can't come up with it. RBI for Guerrero. This is not just talent. This is the whole package right here. 3-2, and he lines it into center. Another base hit. An RBI single for Guerrero. He's 3-for-3. Three three. What he is doing is special and remarkable. And of sends it. Well hit. Deep left field. Gone. Big night for Bo. He's getting hot at the right time. The Blue Jays hit the ball and hit it hard tonight. They win 10 to 2. There is a, the Toronto Blue Jays bouncing back from a opening game loss, at least in the series, to the Baltimore Orioles. They were set to play the rubber of a three-game set tonight, but that has been postponed. Uh, they will play a double dip on September the 11th. So later in the season, these two will go toe-to-toe. Does that mean we stop talking baseball? Oh, hell no. There's enough in the ether that we bring in from the At The Letters podcast and sportsnet.ca, our good friend Arden Zwelling. Arden, what's going on, man? How are you? Does that mean Arden gets a night off? Oh, hell no. <laughs> no, McAuliffe calls him. Same with Rudy. Like, Kelly Rudy I felt worse for because he had just finished the NHL Stanley Cup final. Deep breath, no. Go on Tim and Friends the day later. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll keep you for a little while. But, hey, mm. it's not as if there isn't any news. John Heyman tweeting out earlier today getting the, uh, the old hot stove rolling a little bit here. Nelson Cruz, A's and J's interested was the tweet and then goes on to talk about how good the J's offense would be. Is that a fit for the Toronto Blue Jays? No, no, not <laughs> even a little bit. He doesn't fit at all, Tim. He, he, he's only a designated hitter and, and the Blue Jays have plenty of guys that need to use that designated hitter spot. So look, as a fan of fun, I mean, bring it on. Bring Nelson Cruz here and let's watch this 41-year-old dude just hit absolute bombs. Look at him going tank here off of just everybody in the league. It's incredible what he is doing uh, at his advanced age. One of the slowest guys around the base passes you can see there. (laughs) But there just isn't a fit for the Blue Jays. The guy doesn't have a defensive position. He hasn't played one since 2018 when he was the ripe young age of 38. Uh, so as, as a designated hitter only, there isn't a fit on this roster unless the Blue Jays are moving pieces off of it. Yeah, that was the that was the only and the right-handed bat part of it to me also makes it difficult because you would think that they, I mean, I guess you could say Corey Dickerson is a left-handed bat, but they, they don't have many left-handed bats on this roster. And if you're going to add something to the offense, you would think that you'd like to sprinkle in a lefty or two. 
you'd like to add good bats, you know, yeah. that's the, the way I kind of look at it. Like they could all be right-handed if they all mash, right? If they all rake, you know, I'll take nine Vladimir Guerrero juniors and Bo Bichette's and George Springer's no problem with that. But yeah, I mean, if you are going to add, I mean, ideally it's a lefty and I still look at third base as the spot where the Blue Jays could do something. And mm-hmm. if that's a, an Adam Frazier from, uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, you know, if that's an Eduardo Escobar from, uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks, the worst team in baseball. I mean, I think those two guys are much better fits uh, and also, a, you know, a contact oriented approach from those two uh, as well would fit ideally in this lineup, um, you know, because look, Blue Jays have pr- plenty of thump and plenty of guys who can leave the yard. But like, don't let me be a killjoy, please. Like Nelson Cruz hitting bombs <laughs> right. would be a lot of fun to watch. And me either. And, and let's play some, if we're play, playing hypotheticals anyway, why don't we walk down this road a little bit here, Arden? Because I know what fans are doing when they see the Nelson Cruz online, they just say, well, that that's not an immediate fit unless you start moving pieces off of this roster. And is there a possibility with Dickerson, the throw in the lottery ticket on the Adam Simber deal? Is there a possibility that they could part ways with one of those outfielders? And I think people would probably point to Grichik and or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and go get a significant piece for that and then plug Nelson Cruz in. It's something the Blue Jays will consider, certainly. I mean, they considered Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in trades uh, the past couple of off-seasons, and it never got to the to the finish line. And I think that now that Randall Gritchick has gone to the point that he is, you know, in his contract extension, I mean, you, there would be a bit more value there than perhaps there was a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, that's the other thing that fans do, right, is, well, what if we trade you the players we don't want, you take our bad players, <laughs> and, and we we'll take your good players, players. That works great, doesn't it? Let's just do that. Uh, You know, it's not so easy. So you'd have to find a taker for those players. You'd have to find a team that's looking for win-now talent because that's what those guys are in Guriel and Grichik, like win-now players. But I suppose, you know, Guriel would have some value in terms of what he has done over his his young MLB career. He's come out of his early season funk nicely. He's always going to be a streaky player, always going to be a guy who kind of lives and dies on his batting average on balls in play. But he's signed to an absolute song of a contract. And absolutely player unfriendly contract for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. who doesn't make a whole lot of money on the deal he signed out of Cuba. So I think there would be some value there uh, or the Blue Jays could just hang on to the good players that they have and try to address other roster needs. It's funny because that's literally when Sid and I started on radio in Toronto, we would not take calls because we didn't want to get, hey, hey, why, why don't we get Eric Lindros in his prime and we'll <laughs> give you uh, Ken Uremchuk in return for Eric Lind. And I was just like, I'm not doing that. And here I am doing it on the show where I'm walking down the road of get rid of our spare parts for good pieces. If, if there were pieces that you feel like this team needs, is it starting pitching or is it still relief pitching? I still think it's relief pitching is the priority because the Blue Jays have certainly bolstered the floor of that bullpen with Adam Simber and Trevor Richards, Mm -hmm. but they need to, you know, now that the floor is solid, they need to use that floor to reach the ceiling and look at, you know, getting some more Jordan Romano types uh, in this bullpen, some more swing and miss, high velocity, high strikeout types, like just fire breathing monsters who they can throw uh, ahead of Jordan Romano in, in the eighth inning to get him the ball. Because right now, who do you really trust 
ahead of Romano. You know, Rafael Delis been pretty shaky, looked okay last night, but I think you still want to give him a little time to get his his feet wet, and he has been inconsistent. I mean, we, we can go down the Chatwood Road if you want. Uh, Tim Mesa's been better, but, you know, somewhat untested and unproven in leverage. So I think the Blue Jays need, like, another really hard-throwing, bat-missing dude at the back end of that bullpen because that's, you know, you look at the best playoff teams of, of recent years, that's what they have. They have two, three, four even of those guys in their bullpen to shorten games and shut things down in late innings. My mom always told me, uh, you know what you do when you assume you make an ass out of me and you. So I won't assume that you believe that because you went relief pitching that Ryu has found it, although the last start was good news. Yeah, and you know what's even better news is he's going to get a nice extended break right now to just kind of recover. Uh, you know, he's logged a lot of innings for this club, and he's a guy that, you know, we forget because we haven't seen it too much in Toronto, but he's got the pretty decorated injury history uh, and a decorated history of just pitching through nagging little, you know, bumps and bruises and injuries and ailments. And we've seen his velocity fluctuate at times this year. We've seen him not able to locate his change up the way that he needs to. So, you know, I, and he actually did have a, a very brief test. 10 day IL stint with that glute thing uh, about a month ago or six weeks ago. So he's clearly been pitching through some stuff. So I think that him, you know, he's not going to pitch in this race series and they'll have the all-star break off. And then the blue Jays can kind of perfectly pick where they want to pick uh, where they want to pitch on the other side of the all-star break. And I think that this recovery time will help him a lot in the second half. What about Steven Matz? Another guy who could probably use a bit of time to recover, right? Although, I don't know, maybe you want him in games pitching because he is still building up and it seems like he's still kind of getting his feel back coming off of the COVID-19 IL and coming off of his his illness. He hasn't looked his best in the last couple of outings he's thrown. You know, the gas tank hasn't quite been there. The stuff hasn't stayed quite as sharp deep into outings as you would like. Um, you know, we forget how good he was earlier this season for the Blue Jays. You know, it looked like they had found a real steal in that trade um, and things have kind of taken a little bit of a step back recently. I think the last time that he went six innings and an outing was was May at this point. It's been a while. So it's a guy that I'm sure the Blue Jays are going to get on a pretty dedicated throwing program over this uh, over this coming week, week and a half. They're going to get him, you know, in with the, the strength and conditioning folks and working on that arm strength and shoulder flexibility and elbow strength, all that stuff that you and I know so well, Tim. So uh, I, <laughs> I think that that's going to be the plan for Steven Matz. We'll see what he looks like on the other side of the break. Uh, this dude at Arden's Welling on Twitter uh, tweeted out uh, in, within the hour that the Jays probables just move back against the Rays, Manoa, Stripling, and Ray. So I'll ask this at Arden's Welling fellow right now. Uh, Alec Manoa did pretty good against the Rays. Like, is there... This is an interesting one for me, and we don't have a ton of time here, but the, the Manoa thing is he has lived up to expectations but where, where do you put those expectations now that you see kind of what you got? Well, that we saw the ceiling, right? And we saw the upside the last time out with, uh, I think it was like 23 swinging strikes, 10 strikeouts that outing against the Rays. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy some of the swings he was getting. He was electric. He was as good as I've ever seen him. And I've seen him in the minors as well as the majors. So it'll be interesting to see how he follows up in round two tomorrow facing the same lineup and you know the Rays have had they've seen him now have had the benefit of their advanced scouts having a week to kind of look for you know what he does and his sequences and try to figure some things out about what he likes to do so it's going to be very interesting to see round two of of that one and it'll be a good test for Alec Manoa uh, early in his MLB career I mean you just look at this quickly you can say five or seven starts where he's got one run or less I mean 
that's pretty damn good. Like, we're not going to go to innings limits here. Or like, do we know what how they are going to roll out Alec Manoa in this is rookie year? And his 35 no, I, innings of pros experience. <laughs> like, I, I, it's crazy. You know, s- strict innings limits are just a thing of the past. Like, yeah. teams just have, you know, much more advanced ways of measuring this stuff, right? They're measuring your strength and your spin rate, your release point, um, you know, your workouts in between outings are being measured, like the velocity and force you're able to generate in the gym. You know, they're paying attention to all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, Seems to be working really well, too. <laughs> Yeah. So look, as long as Alec Manoa passes those tests, I don't think there is a strict innings limit because like a lot of that science was just, you know, BS. Yeah. Someone pulled a number out of their, you you can only go right. 10 or 15% over what you went last time. What's that based on? Like it's completely arbitrary. So the Blue Jays are going to use actual objective empirical evidence to inform how far they push them over the second half of the season. Awesome. Manoa, Stripling, Ray, that's the lineup. And then we head to the All-Star break. Sorry to make you work on your day off. Appreciate you, though. Anytime for you. Hey, I'm on with Sid tomorrow morning, too, at 6.40 a.m. Oh, yeah, good luck with that. I'm sure you'll be up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him I said uh, I'm not coming on for another long time because I did that once, (laughs) and I'm not doing that for a long time. I think I'm the only guy who says yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a couple people come in, honestly, sit here and go, man, Sid. And I'm like, yeah, what, what about him? Good guy? He worked here? And you go, yeah. yeah, he calls me, wants me to go on at like 6.30 <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, he works at a breakfast television show. A pretty damn good one as well. Uh, enjoy it. Get your rest. Get your beauty sleep so you look fresh and clean for Dina and Sid. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you next time. All right, there's Arden Zwelling. Uh, follow him on Twitter. I showed you how, how, how well it works. At Arden's Welling. Uh, we continue everywhere until 7.30, excuse me, 7 Eastern. So I got that old Stanley Cup thing mm. in my head, 7.30 Eastern. Jesse with yeah. the mm, immediately. I knew I right understand away. Why. I knew right away. <laughs> yes. Uh, no Blue Jays Central, no Jays games. So coming up after the break, we'll check in. Dominic Moore, played for the Habs, played for the Lightning. We'll get his thoughts on the Habs and the Lightning. Next, here on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Stanley Cup ends in five games with yet another shutout. Andre Vasilevsky, five straight closeout games where he has shut out his competition as the Lightning cement themselves among the better teams that we have seen in this new millennium. Our next guest became a friend of the show while he was still playing in the league and running the world's greatest table tennis tournament. And he remains killing it this time doing it as an analyst for NBC. We welcome Dominic Moore back to the show. Dominic, how are you, man? It's great. It's great to be back. Too bad we can't bring the table into the studio again here to get the ping pong going. Who says we can't? As soon as COVID protocols go down, you, me, ping pong table this studio. <laughs> Bring it on. I love it. Yeah, we don't have Sid anymore to clown around and act like he's uncoordinated. I'm going to play like hamstring or something. He's <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, so, so where does this Tampa team rank? Because, I mean, we were talking about maybe it being the best team in the salary cap era. Uh, we understand that comes with the caveat that they kind of circumvented that salary cap to get there. But, I mean, there were very little flaws on this team. You know, it's incredible. I mean, the, the the Lightning for a decade before they won their first championship, you could argue were one of the best teams uh, perennially in the league. You know, going back to 2011, when I was there, we got to the conference finals, game seven, losing one nothing to the Bruins, who would go on to win the cup. Since then, since Steve Eiserman came in, 
one of the best teams in the NHL. You can't argue with that. They just hadn't crossed that finish line. I think a lot of the credit has to go to Julian Breesbaugh and what he's been able to do, finding the missing pieces, identifying what needed to be added. And to me, it's the, those, that final yardage that Breesbaugh deserves a ton of credit for. 11 points in 18 games in that playoffs. Not a bad run for you that year either. But we, we pointed back to the sweep against uh, Columbus two years ago. And the tweet that the team sent out and the obvious um, kind of hard look at this team and what they were about. And Kucherov got suspended in that series. And Vasilevsky came out saying, you know, I've got to be better you know, it's easy to tweet these things out, and it's easy to say those things in a post-game news conference, Dom, but how often do you actually see a team take that good hard look and be able to adjust? So two parts to this, and I think this is such a great and interesting question. So the first part is, to me, one of the strengths of John Cooper as a coach was his confidence, always has been, from the minute he arrived, he projected confidence. He's a confidence guy, and he instills it in his team. Now, we all know how important confidence is to athletes and to, to teams in general, and, and he's had that. His teams have been so good, record-setting regular seasons. We all know about that. But there's a, there's a balance that has to be struck with humility, and humility is often underrated in terms of how important that is and Columbus gave them a strong dose of humility. The things that humility helps you do is it helps you prepare. So confidence helps you perform, but humility helps you prepare. Mm. And to me, that was the missing thing that, that brought Tampa to the next level. And it was obvious in terms of their new approach the next year. The second part, and I said it was a two-part thing. I didn't want to forget about the second Part, but now actually I have. I like but the confidence and humility part, though. Diagnosing what accurately what is wrong, what needs to be fixed. Right. And that's what I think Julian Breesbaugh, again, did so well. Yes. He didn't panic. He didn't blow up the team. He assessed in a specific and detailed way what the things he thought that he needed to get over the hump. And they nailed it. The, the proof was in the pudding. And that was, in, in my mind, uh, toughness and grit. Do you agree with that? Yes, but I think it's a little bit more than that. Okay. I think it was, you know, you look at that 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 Gaudreau, you know, Gord Coleman line. Yeah. It's not just toughness and grit, determination. Yeah, Those good. are all things that I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Lightning needed, and and they, you know, we always know about their skill and their speed, but. I always like those skilled grinders. You know, not just grinding players, but players that can capitalize if given just a limited opportunity. That was. What we had in 2011 when I played on the line with Sean Bergenheim, we were a strong part of that run that we had. And that's, I think, that those skilled grinders, because you can play a shutdown game, but if you can't capitalize on the other end, we saw time and time again those skilled grinding players in Tampa make, make the opponents pay. And it happened with that huge diving goal from Coleman. It happened again yeah. with Ross Colton. In the, in the final game of the series. So those things paid off. Yeah, and the pass from Savard, who's what, like their fifth or sixth? He's on their third pairing. Like, it's unbelievable the pieces that they had. And 
And as soon as I asked the question, or as soon as I said, you know, toughness and grit, I knew I was downplaying the skill too much. Like, the skill throughout the lineup and the sacrifice together is something that's not easily attainable, or so it seems. It's not easily attainable. It's not easily matched. What what they've been able to do in Tampa, again, you look at the way they've managed this team. They've been perennially good. Maybe one down, two playoff years missed in, in all these last decade for that team. And there's no rebuild going on. There's no, you know, tank and wait for draft picks. They're finding guys like Braden Point in later rounds, becoming pillars of the team, you know, record-setting playoff performances from guys like him. So it, you just have to give credit where it's due. And they found players all over the map. You know, who knew at the beginning of the year how important Ross Colton was going to be coming out of UVM? But they've got a, a great sense of identifying talent, knowing where to slot them in. Yeah. And then again, knowing what pieces to add at the deadline. And, and Breezeball hasn't been shy about making those moves. Normally, they don't pay off as well. Uh, but in this case, they certainly did. I don't want to get to the Habs in a flash, but I think we got to stop on John Cooper for a flash because we had him on the show and I was talking about, you know, Texarkana and, you know, whatever the hell the name of the league is now, North American Three Hockey League because it used to be the Central States Hockey League. Like, that's where he got his start and he has grinded his way to the top and he is at the top. What makes him a special coach? Oh, you know, the coaches have to wear so many hats, right? You have to be, you know, good with your X's and O's, obviously, strategy, team strategy. But I think his biggest strength is he's a manager of people. He knows how to motivate. He knows how to tap in to get the most out of each player. We talked a lot about his confidence, but he also knows how to build confidence, show faith in his players. You know, gone are the days of, you know, the, the old school discipline, treating players like dogs. This is a new era of coaching. John Cooper is emblematic of that. And he's so progressive, so enlightened with the way he approaches things. You know, the players enjoy it. It's they, they enjoy coming to the rink. It's not because it's a country club. There's expectations that that team has to live up to. But if you if you make it fun, that's, I think, how you're going to make get the most out of players. And they've been rewarded because of it. I mentioned again, though, that humility piece, which I think, Cooper has won at every level, but it, it took a little bit longer for it to come at this level. There's a lot of great coaches, a lot of great teams in the NHL. It's the most competitive environment you can imagine in our sport. So to get over that final hurdle, I think that humility was the final piece. Uh, I'm writing down the confidence and humility because I'm going to steal that later on because I think it's a <laughs> remarkable balance that a lot of people need to find but not many people actually find. Uh, final question about the Habs. And I was talking to Kelly Rudy, and it was just the mindset of going that far when so many people had written you off and then trying to find, you know, the silver lining. Is there any silver lining in losing a cup final the way that the Habs did? I mean, if you're asking me, I'm, I'm more of a process guy than than judging by just, you know, the winner loss at the end of the day. So I think there's an awful lot uh, to hang your hat on the, the experience of what they went through this team throughout the playoffs, the way they came through the first round coming back, everyone left them for dead against the Leafs. So to come through that, the way they did was an incredible experience for them. 
to continue to roll the way they did. They responded to adversity every step of the way. To me, responding to adversity, that's the hallmark of, of a championship team and the hallmark of the legacy that you leave. And they, they left the legacy, this, this team, on the hearts of Montreal fans. There's no question about that. Where they go from here, can they replicate that going forward? I, I think that's a big question. There's a lot of changes still to come. The, part of the strength of this Montreal group was that they had contributions from everywhere, these kind of free agent pickups, these young guys coming in, the old guys whose windows might be closing. So there's a lot of questions and marks about what this team will look like going forward. So I'm not so sure it's going to be a shoo-in for them to be back in similar position in the next year or two. But what they did this year cannot be questioned. They, they established themselves and, and made a memorable run for Canadians fans. All right, we were talking about this at the start of the show, and it's not an easy question. Who wins the Atlantic next year? <laughs> like Montreal, Toronto, Tampa, Boston, Florida's on the rise. Like... That's going to be a tough-ass division. division. Yeah, What a division, right? And there were so many questions this year about, I want to say one thing. I covered the North first two rounds for NBC, and I was calling those games, and everybody was just talking about how bad the North division was and how they couldn't hold a candle to Vegas and Colorado. I think I'd like to say that that question was erased. The way Montreal handled the Vegas Golden Knights Obviously, the way the finals played out showed the strength of the Lightning. But the North was not as weak as everyone seemed to think they were. I think they thought it was because of the way McDavid and company lit up the division in terms of their production. But there were formidable teams. And that Atlantic division, as you said, Bruins, a lot of question marks there. They're, they always seem to find a way, though. Tampa has got some work to do in the offseason. But Julian Breesbaugh will find a way. Uh, it's going to be a fun division to watch, and I know the Leafs are more motivated than ever. Uh, always appreciate you dropping in, uh, even if it is without a ping-pong table, and I was talking tough uh, to start the show, but I, I do realize you'd probably whoop my ass. <laughs> well, it depends whether you want me to play left-handed or right, Tim. We know that. <laughs> uh, by the way, I do play table tennis with both hands, and oftentimes I will switch in the middle of it if the person's not that good. Oh, I thought you had like a two-handed backhand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was concerned there for a bit, too. <laughs> <laughs> Turning it over. Uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll talk soon. Always good to see you. There is Dominic Moore joining us here on Tim and Friends. Do you, uh, do you dabble in the table tennis? I love it. Yeah? I love it. Yeah, I just, you just, I just told me that, Yeah, you just told me that you picked one up. When I was a, a goalie in uh, my younger years, yeah. I had one in my basement, and I used to fold up. The other side? I fold up yeah. the side, and I'd... Just like play against myself to focus and lock in before I leave for practice or well, not practice for games. Yeah, I'm married into a, an Iranian family, yeah. and uh, the Irani they love their table Pretty tennis. Good, eh? yeah. So I thought, you know, I'll walk in, and all of a sudden there's like a table tennis champion in the family, and I was like, what the? <laughs> I'm getting my <laughs> rear end handed yeah. it to me. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Like I had never played someone who actually plays. You always play people who fool around. Oh, we think you when you're casual, you think you're unreal, and yes. then you go play someone who actually plays ping pong, and you get destroyed. Yeah, it's actually a real sport, oh, yeah. and people train at it. And I was just blown away at how terrible I actually was. That being said, we got to get Thornhill's finest Dom Moore in here yes. to play some ping pong. That would yes. be fun. Uh, some 60-year-old men just yeah. giving it you. to me. <laughs> Time for one final break. Last call coming up on the other side, including some Tokyo 2020 talk.
two weeks away from the start of the Olympics, and Japan is back in a state of emergency surrounding COVID. We will discuss next right here on Tim and Friends. Full-on table tennis conversation yeah. during the commercial break, yeah. uh, discussing outings and when we can get together to play table tennis. We'll Such playing. a fun game to play. Yeah, producer Thomas Davi is pretty cocky. I can hear it in his voice. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. I think it'd take you down. It's like <laughs> everyone thinks they're a really good ping pong player, so I guess we're going to see. Yeah, I should train with the uncles and see how good I could actually get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just come to surprise. Oh, no, that's see, Yeah, we, we teed it up for you now. You're just going to come blistering forehands and reading the spin off the serve. Dom can and... play, and there are a few NHL players like they could really yeah. play. Yeah. yeah. Ping pong is an Olympic sport. Yeah, it's Dobby. Just table like, tennis, yeah. Yourself. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. To the Olympics we go. Nice. I, was, I saw that. Thank you for that segue now, Dobbs. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> Just over two weeks until the Olympics and things aren't looking all that great in Tokyo. Uh, surging COVID-19 cases have hit a two-month high, resulting in Japan declaring a new state of emergency to start next week that will continue for the duration of the Olympics. The new state of emergency could lead to a ban even on local fans. Tim, supposed to be about the athletes the olympics is but does any of this take away from the games itself yeah it will it has to because yeah. the the fans are a part of the action and i think that over this um pandemic that we've gone through for the last 15 months we've started to figure out just how much a part of the action mm -hmm. the fans were and i thought the nhl playoffs night, yeah. were such an amazing example of that and as you reintroduced fans like part of what dom was saying and everyone was talking about in the north was because there was no fans in the building yeah we all got caught by how jacked up the crowd was and made it feel like the game was a lot rougher and a lot more intense than it actually was. And it made you feel like the North was just this soft division that would get run over. And so um, I think we're starting to figure out, listen, I'm, I'm still going to tune in. I'm still going to watch and there is still going to be, um, you know, marquee events, but I just, you look at the hundred meters and the yeah, anticipation exactly of the crowd and yeah. that gun and you know if someone gets a little nervous in that moment and jumps and then you got to start again like all of those things i feel like you're going to lose a little bit of totally right you can get away with it in certain events but in the big ones you're going to notice it for sure Without in the olympic stadium you're going to notice it uh less than a week after the national team bowed out of olympic qualifying canada's men's under 19 basketball team is looking to reassure fans in this country that the future of the program is still in good hands. The U19 World Cup going on right now in Canada is through to the quarterfinals after beating Costa Rica by 30 points yesterday in the round of 32. They'll take on Spain in the quarters early tomorrow morning. So Timmy, is it coming home? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. This team's nice. really, really good. Um, and they are, uh, they're packed with talent. And if you look through uh, some of the roster, it was Puerto Rico yesterday. I was just making sure to confirm. Yeah. Not Costa Rica, but Puerto Rico. 86-56 uh, was the final in that game. This is the World Juniors of Basketball. And I know that Sportsnet and Canada Basketball came to an idea uh, of a similar thing, a U-22 tournament. Mm -hmm. This U-19 tournament is the World Juniors. And I say that because there are players on Canada's team that are now like, we're talking about top 10 recruits at U.S. schools for the next basically two classes and a freshman class that's already there. 
there is some real talent on this team. And if you get a chance, it, it, the the rights are already owned by a streaming service that I won't name here because it is a competitor. But this is a real team. They've got a real shot. And the last time they won gold at the U19 uh, at the U19s, it was RJ Barrett, Andrew Nemhart. It was yeah. household names. And these kids, this team, I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years, everyone in this country knows a few of these guys' names. It's got to be reassuring for the national program, too, just to know that there are guys, there is that talent. That it's not a one-off. It wasn't this golden way. generation exactly. that will disappear, without Absolutely. a doubt. I think that, that has to be a huge yeah. bonus for any basketball fan or Basketball Canada. Yeah, can't wait to see those guys uh, in action. England have been charged by UEFA after Denmark goalkeeper Kasper Schmeichel was targeted with a laser. Yes, I saw this. During yesterday's semi-final victory in front of home fans at Wembley. The laser was pointed at Schmeichel as England's captain Harry Kane stepped up to take a penalty in extra time. Schmeichel saved Kane's initial shot, but Kane tapped in the rebound to send England into Sunday's final against Italy. So the question is, Laser tag or paintball, which is more fun, Timmy? Not even close. There has to be some punishment for the crime. Laser tag, there is no punishment. Paintball, every once in a while, there is some punishment. There is absolutely no doubt an outdoor paintball smashes laser tag in the face. <laughs> you didn't... <laughs> You didn't think that uh, getting a laser to the chest and ha not being able to move for 10 seconds was punishment? That's not enough punishment for you? Oh, yeah. Stop. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and no one oh. listened ever, right? <laughs> the guy's thing would be buzzing and you'd be like running around. Exactly. You're supposed to stop. Or the punishment is trying to get out of that place when it's over. Yeah. Impossible. Like as a kid, that was terrifying. Never you mind how leave. gross it was. Couldn't find the. Oh, yeah. There's a reason why they had only had black that. lights in there because it was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Fans in England, not the only ones getting themselves in trouble yesterday. Check out this guy during last night's AEW Dynamite, and that's Canadian legend Chris Jericho in the ring. Fan gets uh, fairly close before security jumps in, and the dude gets dealt with. A lot of obnoxious fans recently. Do fans need to relax, Timmy? That was a real fan? Yeah. Which dude's Apparently. the fan? You can't tell. That dude. Yeah. Big dude. It's, it's not good. We got to stop with this. This is it's, nonsense. You, it's, that, that's wrestling, though. Like, yeah. that could be a play in the near future. We, yeah, we it could be a storyline. Yeah. The dude's big enough, and they didn't whoop his ass. Uh, so I'm a little... There's a there's a part of me that's a little skeptical there. Okay, quickly. I yes. want to get to this, because the script's about spelling bee is tonight. Uh, you said you can play ping pong with both hands. Can you spell and be dexterous? No, I am the worst speller. Okay, I'll spell it for you. A-M-B-I-D-E-X-T-R-O-U-S. I don't know why. Like, I just read it, so I don't even know what that accomplishes. But there you go. <laughs> I'm just happy. Ambidextrous. Never mind. That does it for us. Thanks for watching. We will talk to you again tomorrow, 5 Eastern. Thanks, Jesse. So Ambidextrous. A-M-B-I, the rest.